0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So one of the things I think that's really important is if I could say one thing, to, to, if if there are parents listening, be gentle with yourselves and know that you're doing all the things that you can do. You're doing the best you can. And it's enough. It's enough. And, And kind of give yourself that permission to just be as you are no need to go beyond, above and beyond.
1: That was Dr. Lisa Coyne on Psychologists Off the Clock.
2: We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting-edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health.
1: I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado.
2: I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From Coast to Coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant
3: professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors.
1: We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and
2: meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock.
1: Hi, everyone. Be sure to check out Praxis Continuing Education for their online trainings. There's a new course, Act in Practice, with Dr. Stephen Hayes coming up. Enrollment begins June 24th. You don't want to miss it. Just go to the sponsors page of offtheclockpsych.com to link to Praxis, and there you'll find a discount code you can use for registration on any live training events. So check it out.
2: We're also affiliates with Dr. Rick Hansen's online NeuroDharma program and his Foundations of Wellbeing programs. And you can find out more about them at our website, offtheclockpsych.com, where you'll get a $40 discount. Our
1: sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. I love my Uplift standing desk. It's solid and sturdy and allows me to easily transition from sitting to standing while I work with just the push of a button. The ability to switch from sitting to standing throughout the day has been a complete game changer for me. I feel so much better than when I sit all day and it helps me stay alert when I get tired. In addition to standing desks, Uplift offers ergonomic office seating, storage systems, even walking treadmills for your desk. Everything you need to up your office game. You can get free shipping with no hassles, free 30-day returns and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Visit upliftdesk.com slash POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T
3: desk.com slash P-O-T-C to get 5% off your entire order. We all know there are trade-offs in life, like having to drive a little further to save on gas or groceries, but when it comes to your health, you shouldn't have to trade off. So don't go back to that one doctor who's always late and rushes through your appointment just because they're close by or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. You can search by location, availability, insurance, literally no trade-offs here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. Zocdoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you, and instantly book appointments with them online. My kid's pediatrician is retiring this summer, so you can bet I will be using Zocdoc to find someone new who we all love and trust. So go to zocdoc.com/potc and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com/potc. ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C.
1: This is Debbie. Yael and I are here to introduce an episode with Dr. Lisa Coyne on parental burnout. And we just noticed something. This introduction just takes a little bit of time to record. But even in these moments, we tried to sneak away to our computers. We both got pulled by our children. And I think it's, it speaks to the unrelenting nature of the job of being a parent right now during the pandemic. And it's quite relevant to our conversation today.
2: Absolutely.
1: And before we go any further, I just wanted to mention that your interview, Debbie, was
2: recorded before the current protest movement. And in light of recent events, it feels really important to name that systematic racism is a risk factor for parental burnout for parents of color who have been experiencing higher stress long before COVID-19 and all the
1: challenges that we're encountering now and are also disproportionately affected as a whole by the pandemic. And I think that's really important in terms of stress and burnout. Let's define burnout. The World Health Organization talks about burnout as an occupational phenomenon with three main components. The first is just exhaustion, right? So feeling utterly tired. You've got nothing left to give. The second is a feeling of cynicism or detachment from the role, where normally you might care. You just feel a little bit you know, checked out from it, um, and also just feeling that you're not as effective in the role as you normally might be. And I think it, it is it is an occupational phenomenon, and I first experienced it in my professional role and became curious about it because I have many clients who have burnout. Um, and I think it's also quite relevant to the role of parent as well. One of the studies that I think is just
2: fascinating on the topic of burnout is the study that followed army reservists in Israel, and they followed individuals who were at all at the same company. Some were called into active duty, and some were not called into active duty. And when they compared the two groups, they found that those were, that were called into active duty had reduced work burnout. When you fully step away from a role that's demanding, even if you're stepping into another demanding role, like going to war or like going to a taxing job, you get a break from the role that you're stepping away from. And I think that's so relevant for now because we're full-time parenting and we never get a break from parenting because our kids can never go anywhere. And it really doesn't provide an opportunity to get a break from that role and therefore really heightens the risk for burnout. And I'll make a comment that just yesterday, Debbie, I had told you that I've heard word that the final camp that I had my youngest going to um, was canceled. All the others had already been canceled. And I just had this feeling of, you know, there's just no opportunity that I can see in the future to have a real break and to have my kids, you know, go somewhere and, and be engaged with some other provider. Um, and that that is really, I think, a, a tax on parents
1: right now. I think that's such a great example when in this conversation with Lisa Coyne, we talk about how right now the stress is so high, it's the perfect storm. and just the, having those little breaks built in, whether it's school or child care camps, they really help, I think, for parenting just to have some time when you're not in that role. And right now that's not as available. And so it becomes extra important to practice self-care, self-compassion, and some of the strategies that that Lisa talks about in this episode. So all you parents out there who are feeling the burnout, hang in there and we hope you find this helpful. We're happy to, to welcome our guest today, Dr. Lisa Coyne to the podcast. Lisa, we're happy you're here. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Among other accomplishments that you'll hear about soon, Lisa is the president-elect, soon to be the president of the Association of Contextual Behavioral Sciences, which is the organization for ACT and other contextual behavioral therapies. And we really want to make an announcement for people who are in the field about the ACBS conference this year in July, July 16th through 19th. It will be completely online this year which is exciting I think it's a chance for people to get great workshops panels talks from the comfort of your own home you don't even need to travel and it's affordable and some will even be recorded and available later so you can do multiple sessions at the same time the problem is always that everything great is at once (laughs) that's right (laughs) Lisa, do you want to say anything about the conference? Yeah.
0: I mean, we're really excited about it. And one of the things that's been most exciting has been that we've had some feedback from our members. And ACBS is truly an international organization. And some of the feedback has been, hooray, this is the first time I'll be able to spend, I'll actually be able to attend the conference. Um, One of the things that's really important to me as the incoming president is to really um, I, I wish more people who were not members of ACBS would come and visit us. And maybe this is an opportunity for them also in common. If you're ACBS curious, some cool stuff is going on and we love collaborating. And it's all about science, but it's about science apart. heart. Come join us. It'll be a lot of fun.
1: Yes. There we'll are some tea. sad things about <laughs> it, but I think it's never been easier to go to a conference. And here's another perk that two – co-hosts of your favorite podcasts will be presenting me and Jill. So we will <laughs> That's be right. happy for you to join us if you come. And you can register if you'd like to join the conference at contextualscience.org. And now I'm going to introduce Lisa. Lisa Coyne is founder and senior clinical consultant of the McLean OCD Institute for Children and Adolescents and assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She also founded and directs the New England Center for OCD and Anxiety. And she's the co-author of several books, The Joy of Parenting with Amy Morell, And that's a great one for parents who might be listening to today's episode, The Joy of Parenting. She also has a book for clinicians called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, The Clinician's Guide for Supporting Parents with ACT with COA Whittingham. It's a really helpful guide for clinicians like me who work with a lot of adults and who mm-hmm. see a lot of parents in their practice and want to help them. Um, and then her newest book, just hot off the presses, is called Stuff That's Loud, A Teen's Guide to Unspiraling When OCD Gets Noisy with Ben Sedley. And so, of course, the challenge interviewing Lisa is that she has so many talents and areas of expertise, you don't know where to begin. Um, today, we're going to be talking about parenting and mm. Parent, parental burnout and parenting during this difficult time. Lisa, you're yeah. a parent yourself. And as a clinician, you help parents navigate the challenges of yeah. parenting. And you're developing a resource, um, a website, Nurture in Place, which has resources for parents navigating COVID-19. Can you tell us a little bit
0: about that and what you're working sure. on there? The project basically is to help disseminate evidence-based practices in the smallest, most You know, portable, effective, easily disseminable doses that we can um, to families because we know that families are struggling right now for a variety of reasons. Um, And so, the website contains um, a number of different things. One is resources for parents. It contains evidence-based practices for parents for how do you, what do you do your children how do you manage behavior how do you help them when they're anxious all of those things and then there's a piece and this is the piece I've been most heavily involved in about parent self-care because it's really really important and I think that a lot of parents I know I feel like this you know since the world has really shifted on this axis because of COVID I think that parents or their families are feeling the burden of trying to fix it and trying to keep their kids safe and trying to figure out how do I parent, how do I homeschool, how do I take care of everything, how do I work from home, if I'm working from home, how do I, if I'm a first you know responder, if I work in healthcare, how do I go to work and then come home and handle the fear of maybe you know contaminating the house or or transmitting the virus to my family. And then there are parents, one in five kids, at least in the US, does not have enough to eat there are 30 million people over 30 million people of work and so there's the stress of how do i make ends meet when i'm feeling like things are so out of my control so for all of these families we see you and we really wanted to make a resource for you that would help and so that website is not quite live yet it should be probably by the time of this podcast so um Hopefully Great. We that well, site.
1: yeah, we'll link to it and it's called Nurture in Place. So so look mm-hmm. for that because it's going to be a wonderful resource for anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you like what you're here today, you also have some free webinars, including one that you just did with Praxis on parental burnout during right. COVID-19. So yeah, mm-hmm. we can link to a lot of your different workshops and resources. So we're going to shift gears and talk about this topic of parental burnout and how just exhausting all of this is and how difficult. Uh, But let's start with just generally talking about burnout and burnout Mm -hmm. more broadly because parental burnout is one form of burnout. Can you tell us a little bit about burnout and and where we might see it and what what does that mean?
0: It is something that can happen when you feel like you are experiencing chronic um, and unremitting stress that's beyond your capacity to handle it, in an area that has meaning to you. And Deb, you know more about this than me, but I think that most of the research about that, you know, the vast uh, majority of it is about job burnout and work burnout, right? It was interesting because researchers that were involved in that research were curious because they thought, you know, what about, can you have parent burnout? Can parents get burned out? If you're in a situation and you are experiencing some sort of unlimiting stress, right, chronic stress, if you're constantly feeling overwhelmed, and you know, if it's an area of great meaning to you, then theoretically you could. And lo and behold, they found that yes, parents actually can get burned out, and it's slightly different, and it's related to different things than job
1: burnout. I think that's really important, though, that really any area that's meaningful to you and Mm -hmm. that can be stressful over time, you can Mm -hmm. have that experience. Because I think even though the most original research was done on professional burnout, what parent can't relate to the idea that you sometimes do get burnt out as a parent, especially if you're very involved with kids frequently and you don't get a lot of breaks, which is the case for many people right now.
0: Well, one of the things that we talked about too in, in our uh, webinar, um, even Gould and I, is that, you know, with work, you get vacations. You don't necessarily get vacations when you're a parent. And you don't really get to go home from work if you're a parent and you are raising your children in your home, right? There's lots of factors that predict it. But if you have, um, you know, kids who are experiencing any sort of behavioral issues, emotional issues, developmental issues, you know, that adds to the the burden. And it's also really hard too, because right, if you're a parent, these things are difficult to talk about because there's this guilt that shows up about, aren't I supposed to be good at this? And aren't I supposed to, I mean, I'm supposed to love this job, right? So how can I get burned out from it? And admitting that, is something that I think is a challenge. Um, So in one respect, I'm delighted that this research is being done because I feel like it's going to normalize that experience and normalize that, yes, it is really hard to be a parent and it is especially hard to be a parent now during COVID.
1: Tell us a little bit more about that. How do you think COVID is contributing to parental burnout?
0: a personal experience, or <laughs> well, maybe, sure, or maybe both.
1: I mean, we so. it, I'll actually tell the listeners we were both joking when we first signed on <laughs> that this is, we're not interested in this out of nowhere, right? I mean, I think yeah, we're, we're like Ooh. we can relate to the stress and the trying Absolutely. to be a parent in the midst of this is. Yeah it's not just theoretical, like we, we live it.
0: No, it's hard. And I think there are a lot of factors. I mean, and it's going to affect each of us differently. Although again, we are in this together. If we take a big sort of broader perspective it is there's no clear course. There's a lot of uncertainty here in what's happening with the pandemic. And we're looking like we're creatures because we like to categorize things and we like to plan things out and we like to have structure and we don't like ambiguity like it's really hard to you know to not have answers to when will the pandemic end <laughs> and what and what should we be doing now and because we've all been thrown into this it's kind of like we just got catapulted onto another planet and we're not really sure how to survive there it's it's almost like that one of the things that's associated with parent burnout is feeling like you need to do it all right, and that there's a manual somewhere that you should find. And if you just do those things, your kids are going to turn out okay, and you're going to be good at this. First of all, that didn't exist before COVID, <laughs> but we we were better at convincing ourselves, I think, that maybe there were some rules that and guidelines that could help. But with this, it's just it, we're really in this new territory, and I think you know, most of us are feeling like we have to rise to the occasion and we have to be able to do all of the things that now we're being asked to do. And I think the bottom line is that's just not realistic. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed and it's okay to feel tired. Um, one of the things that shows up or that's associated with parent burnout that's part of what we think of it, what it is, is exhaustion. You know, feeling like you're just tuckered out all the time. And it's really hard to show up and and do the things that you need to do and have energy for yourself and energy for your kids to be emotionally present for them. And that's another characteristic of parental burnout is feeling really fed up with the situation, right? And also feeling emotionally distant and feeling kind of turned off or numbed out, feeling like you can't even remember when you were good at this, it was, you, know, you don't recognize yourself as a parent in these moments when um, you might have in the past. So it's a really tough situation, and I think that COVID just cranks up the volume on all of those stressors, you know, especially for families that are already struggling. So it's really, it's really hard. It's important to make a space to just slow down and kind of acknowledge that. You know, we're all pretty good at powering through when we need to, but maybe that's not the thing that's needed here. Maybe the thing that's needed here is to slow down, take a moment, and sort of take stock of where you are.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's so true what you're saying, that the stress is already high, mm-hmm. and then we're in this situation where the parenting role is sort of unrelenting, right? Like you might normally be mm-hmm. able to, take a break, send the kids Mm -hmm. off to school, have a, even having a vacation together or something. And and many of those things aren't available right now. And and then there's that general stress of living in this world. It's the perfect storm for burnout. And
0: then thinking about, you know, there are all of these new things you have to figure out. Like how do I talk to my kids about COVID? How much is too much information? how much time should they be hearing about this on screens or should they not be? And what, how do I do that? And then you have different developmental issues with different you know, age kids. Like how do, I, how do I manage working from home with little tiny kids? And then what do I do with the te- the surly teenagers who are like wanting to go out and see their friends and maybe sneaking out or who are isolating in the rooms gaming and doing things like that. And so it's a whole, it calls for a whole lot of creativity and flexibility. And so I could conjecture why feeling like you have to do things in a, in a specific, perfect, rigid way wouldn't work and would feel so hard. Just recognizing that and getting flexible and honing in on like what are the really important things that are non-negotiable and letting everything else go. Letting everything else go that you can
1: some of those, those pressures that you're putting on yourself that may not be entirely necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk in the episode here in a few minutes about some strategies like that, that can be helpful. Um, Before we move into that, what are there other risk factors or uh, problems associated with parental burnout? You mentioned having high
0: standards as one. That's one. There's a number of others. Um, Feeling like you don't have help is another. Feeling like you're parenting skills, right? Because it is, I mean, you know, it is hard. And like if you're if you if you're new to this or if you have kids who, you know, have some behavioral issues or things like that, you might not know, how do you, how do you handle that? How do, I mean, none of us really know how to do that 100% of the time. So feeling like you might not have great skills One of the things that's a predictor is how you handle your emotions, right? So if you feel like handling stress is really hard, that's something that's a big predictor. If there's conflict, you know, that's another thing. If you feel like there's a lot of inconsistency across caregivers. Um, And then there are all of the logistical things that, you know, just make it harder. But yeah, yeah, those are the main things.
1: Okay, um, and I know you mentioned in in your webinar that there are some problems associated with parental burnout, like sleep issues, potentially mm-hmm. substance abuse, mm-hmm. depression,
0: couples conflict. Yeah, and the hardest of those is just kind of feeling so overwhelmed that you're feeling like opting out, and you might be thinking about um, ending things. And that is really really hard. And it's important to note that these these things, right, that we're talking about that are associated with being burned out, they are not causally related. What that means is that if you feel burned out, it does not necessarily 100% lead to those things. It means you're at risk, right? Which you know, And so it's important to know the difference that just because things occur together doesn't mean that one thing causes other. Um, yeah but i think it's important to listen to yourself and if you're feeling that way to reach out you can get some support from friends or from from helpers in some other way yeah that possible.
1: would be a good time to reach out and i think mm-hmm. that's a good point too that it, it doesn't always happen that way because sometimes actually yeah. burnout i think both professional and parental burnout are pretty specific to that role right that's it may exactly not be, right may not be um these other things may not be happening. It might be that you're doing okay in general. You're just really sick of being a
0: parent so too. for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's also a really normal, natural response to a really hard situation. So one of the things I think that's really important is, if I could say one thing, to, to if, if there are parents listening, like, be gentle with yourselves and know that you're doing all the things that you can do. You're doing the best you can and it's enough it's enough you know, and kind of give yourself that permission to just be as you are no need to go beyond above and beyond what you think you can do
1: yeah and also i mean i think that's so validating too that probably most parents feel this way from time to time and even feeling <laughs> i know i did this,
0: yeah <laughs> I, I still do <laughs>
1: right <laughs> even just feeling this is it's okay to feel
0: this way sometime right it's 100% yeah yeah, yeah. I was telling this to one of my clients the other day, but I was saying that, you know, I remember when I was, this is years ago, Amy Raw and I wrote The The Joy of Parenting, you know, being in my little office upstairs on our second floor trying to write, you know, because I was, of course, late and past deadline and all of that. And my kids who were probably like five and 10 downstairs were playing and then ultimately they started, I don't know what they were doing, but they're screaming bloody murder at each other. And I'm sitting there, I was just, I just lost my, my temper. And I was like, will you be quiet? I'm trying to write a book on parenting. It's just, it was so funny. (laughs) And I thought, just the irony of that, like, here I am (laughs) trying Mm -hmm. to tell other parents how to parent. Yeah. So that's true. (laughs) So be gentle with yourselves. (laughs) None of us are experts at this.
1: We can actually move into strategies for helping parents. And one of the things that's so important is recognizing that we're not alone and that shared humanity piece. And so hearing that you, a parenting
0: true expert, has moments like that. <laughs> you should ask my kids about that. They would tell a very different story.
1: <laughs> it's reassuring. It's reassuring to the rest of us. Um, tell us a little bit about that common humanity and why that's
0: important. You know. We've all lost our temper. We've all made mistakes, and this is at the heart of, um, you know, this this idea of the things that we find are the hardest to accept about ourselves, are the things that are most universal, right? All those perceived failings, and this is at the heart of self-compassion. It's one component of selfness, knowing that we're connected not by the faces that we put on and wear, right? By the stuff that we don't talk about. And so making a space, no matter what evidence-based parent training techniques I'm teaching, I want to meet parents where they are. And I want to make a space where they can say the hard things and that it can be okay. And sometimes doing that for them opens up a space where they can begin to do that for their kids and each other. And I think that's really
1: important. Maybe that's one of the most important things we can do with this conversation today is to just remind people that they're not alone with this, even in those moments when it just feels super hard and maybe you lose mm-hmm. your temper or maybe you don't have your proudest moment, um, but that we've all been there and that yeah. this is such a hard situation and you're not alone.
0: When you think about like, what's, what's parenting all about? Like, what's the goal of it? Like the stakes are so high. Like, I remember coming home from the hospital with, with Josie, who's my first child. She's 20 now, so it's been a long time. And I remember thinking, like, <laughs> actually, I remember going to my house and being like, wait, they're letting me alone with her? Like, what, wait, wait, no, I don't know what I'm doing. Hold on, wait, no. And there was this like abject terror of like, oh God, I'm going to screw this up. And then you have, and you realize like you have this little person. Right, that your heart, and you think, oh my gosh, I have to make sure that they survive and are thrive, and how do I do that? And when I'm just so flawed and me, and like that's a huge tall order. <laughs> like that's a huge tall order, and our minds trick us into thinking that you know it's something that's impossible.
1: I have to tell my own story, which was oh, giving the, the newborn baby a bath for the first time and just feeling so overwhelmed. Like there was no way I could possibly so do terrifying. this. <laughs> yeah. like, you remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> You're just like, like <laughs> I have no idea like, how to do th- Yeah. I mean that overwhelming feeling, that feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing in it, but it's, it's not just when they're newborn babies. It. Oh no. <laughs> oh no.
0: Yeah. Right. And recognizing that that's behind a lot of the mistakes that we make and all, of you know, and if we parent based on like, oh God, this could go wrong, you know, it's going to organize our behavior around our kids in all sorts of different ways. Right. And so acknowledging that, (laughs) that you're feeling that maybe the stakes are really high and that it's really scary and hard makes it easier to carry. It doesn't make it go away, but it makes it easier to carry and maybe makes you more effective because it frees up your attention to focus on things that might be more helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, let's, let's delve a bit more into self-compassion. You mentioned that earlier and I'd like to talk more. I I think it's pretty central here. Why Mm -hmm. is it, why is it important for parents and how is it different from how we typically treat ourselves as parents?
0: Yeah. Well, so I don't know about you guys who are listening, but like, I know that when I, Feel like I'm not up to par, which happens a lot, even more than you would think, really. Um, My mind is very self critical, and it's always been that way. It's just always, always, always been that way. And it tells a lot of stories about if you don't do X perfectly or well, then you are invisible or not worthy or not lovable or not interesting or whatever it is. And I think that. You know, those kinds of, our minds tend to be critical on purpose, right? They're trying to help us. They've evolved. You know, our languaging brain, at least, has evolved to be our threat detector. And so what it does is it tries to hem you in with all of these stories about, like, what you shouldn't do because it's risky and what you did wrong so you could fix it and then be acceptable, right? Because that's one way of mitigating danger. But that can be a drag after a while. And it can be really loud. In situations of chronic stress. And so, self compassion is about slowing down and noticing and witnessing all of these feelings and thoughts that you're having and sort of softening around them and making a space for them, holding them gently, right? making space, you not know, to fight them, but to just acknowledge them. And then, noticing that you're not alone. In feeling and thinking these things, that these are the kinds of things that can us all. And just being gentle with yourself. And, and one of the things I think that's really helpful is when you notice that sort of very critical voice, imagining, you know, noticing, first of all, noticing that, and second of all, seeing if you can engage a kinder, wiser voice, you know, we can see your struggle. And that can be gentle with those who move forward.
1: So that's, that's the practice there is, is that what you would do to help parents who are self-critical foster self-compassion that sort of noticing and gentleness?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really hard because we're not good at being nice to ourselves. Um, As my esteemed colleague laura Silverstein church has has written about so beautifully and many others um, i love her book um it's it's really tough right because like when you think about what do you mean be kind to myself i don't deserve that i made all these mistakes today and i yelled and i did all these things right and so it's a practice and it's not necessarily easy but First steps are slowing down and noticing and meeting yourself where you are. And just, you know, a, a really tiny practice could be sort of just closing your eyes, taking a pause if you can, even for a few seconds, and just checking in with yourself to just notice, like, where where am I right now? And what is it that I most need right now? You know, just taking a few moments to listen to that and see if you can give yourself just some small act of kindness, whether it's pausing in a really busy day, whether it's lingering over your coffee in the morning, whether it's letting the laundry lay there without trying to put it away just this minute, whether it's spending a few more moments in bed, whether it's taking a walk you know, getting your body some air, whatever that small thing is, whether it's shifting your posture, noticing like if you're holding yourself, tension and tightness, and just noticing how am I holding myself? You know, and just that slow, quick, you know, or that little pause, right? And noticing opens up room for you to choose. Do you want to choose to... Be kind. Do you choose to just shift yourself, just a tend bit to are so more comfortable? And so, that's kind of a tiny little practice that is you can do at any time, wherever you are, and just making it something that you can come back to over and over again throughout the day can make a difference. You can open up little windows of peace where there weren't any.
1: What I love about that tiny practice is that it's realistic to be able to do it even in this situation where maybe you don't have a break from your kids all day long Mm -hmm. and you can still take that pause. You could do it with the kids right there with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. You can totally do that. And yeah, there's lots of little tiny things that you can do. And sometimes just doing that is enough to get you through. um, Another one that I'm thinking of is, it's not quite self-compassion but it is sort of really noticing so if things are really hard and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're starting to see all of you know your family your children as things you have to do things you have to take care of another to do on your very long to do list one of the things you can do is take these little pauses and really you know think back and see if you can Think about the time, when was the last time you really had a good laugh with your child? Or when you had a moment where you just, you know, there was sort of a sweetness there or a joyfulness. You just share kind of a look. It could be very simple, something very small. And see if you can bring that forward into the moment that you're in now when things are hard. And see if you can see that little kid inside this one that's causing me trouble and just hold that idea just for a moment and see what that does too and that's one that I find helpful sometimes as well and remembering you know that this is a moment in our life and it's a difficult moment for you and it too is important and I life this are some of these moments, some of them so beautiful, and they're all at our disposal. We just slow down and kind of connect them. Right? Our minds tend to focus on the hard things. There's no reason if we don't pause and choose that we can kind of choose to bring forward something that's really um, hopeful or something that you might miss or long for that you feel like is gone from them.
1: That's a really nice shift from that to-do mode that you get into when you're caregiving. Yeah, I love that. Look,
2: Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer.
3: That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: Maybe one more practice to quickly talk about is that that was in your webinar was about taking downtime together. Oh, yeah. It's it's a less (laughs) self-focused one. But I think that's even that is is hard in this day and age when we're
0: just home so much. Um, Maybe could you tell our listeners about that? Well, actually, it's so funny because you're asking about it and I'm thinking about all the failed attempts at downtown together. Like there's the, what movie do you want to watch? And no one agrees. And then in our family, we're all musical. Everybody plays an instrument, but nobody wants to play together right now or that tune. So it's like, or let's make dinner together. but not that and like we can't oh so isn't that interesting that your mind immediately (laughs) thinks of the failures see (laughs) exactly that's exactly right yeah so i think that you know sometimes these things are organic and they just happen and so one thing you can do is capitalize on the ones that are occurring and when they do happen enjoy um if you know, and other things that you can do, just fun things. Some, it doesn't have to be anything serious. It can be like snuggling on the couch and having a quiet moment, be taking a walk. It could be like, can you help me with the dishes and things like that. And one of the things that I think a lot about is, you know, there's things that, not that it's linked so much with COVID, but there's a literature on, you know, what are the things that families can do to reduce risk for kids, Right. And one of the things that's really important is having good communication across family members. Having family meal times is actually like a a really nice evidence-based thing. Even if it's brief, sitting down, sharing a meal at the table really quick instead of everybody like running off to their rooms. I mean, aren't my kids older at this stage? So they'd love that to go game and eat in their room. So, but if you're, you know, if you can, one Common shared experience a day, like around a meal, is so, so helpful. And another thing that's really helpful is, you know, when kids feel like they have a role in the family, that they're important to the work of the family, that the family is something that you share and that you co create and that you build together. So it can be little things like, can one of you clear the dishes? Can one of you do this? And, you know, if the kids don't love chores, One of the things that I encourage families to do is have what we call, um, you know, I think I got this from Kelly Wilson a million years ago. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Is this, you know, a conversation with them that's about the value and the vulnerability, right? And what that means is talking to your kids about what are the things that are really important here and what's hard for you about this so it might go something like you know i'm really i'm really enjoying that you guys are all home together with us now and i'm also feeling a little disconnected from you, and that it's hard and i know you're probably okay but i'm worried and that scares me and what's important to me is that We don't know necessarily when this is going to end. We're all locked down. Everything's weird. You guys don't get to go to school. There's no sports. There's nothing. And I feel like that's hard too. What if it's important to me that we can do something together? And I need a little help running the house since we're all in it together. Could you? Do you guys think we could talk together about something small that you could do that could be yours, that you could help me with? you know, so just some sort of conversation that, that's about what's the thing that's important. I, I want us all to be together. I want us to have a good experience or whatever it is for you and your family. It's the value, And then what's heard about it. And just being really genuine and honest and having that kind of conversation. Treating kids like they're about, just about to do the next right thing. Is another thing that can help with that. You never know, right? Sometimes expecting kids to step up, even if they have not in the past, or or seeing if you can create a window of involvement can bring them in.
1: Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I like that it supports supports the parent or the child's emotional growth, and also involves the parent just being really genuine. Mm -hmm. Are there strategies that you have for supporting kids' emotional growth if they're struggling a lot with what's going on right now? How might you be helpful? Maybe first we could talk about younger kids, and then um, I also know there's some special considerations with teenagers.
0: One of the things that's really important is to it it can be sort of a, a mismatch of what needs to happen in the family and what can happen. Right. So like if you have parents who let's say they're working at home and trying to manage a bunch of things, it might be super helpful if the very if the younger kids were more independent, you know, and could manage themselves. And of course that's not going to happen developmentally with a lot of kids who are young, right? And so kind of recognizing that you're having sort of a clash of you know cultures here or or demands and that we've got to flex things. So um, one thing that's, so there's that. The other thing is thinking about like, you know, I was reading something today about, um, and I wasn't entirely convinced on this data, right, that I read about, but it was a story about kids are struggling a lot more due to COVID. Maybe they are. And I'm not sure, but what I wonder is how can we as parents protect them and insulate them just a little bit by the onslaught of news. And so for parents, one thing that I know is not a healthy tech behavior, right? Is scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And like just taking in, there's so much information that's just so available all the time about all of the bad things that could happen are happening, et cetera. And so limiting kids access to that in the same way you would, if there was a natural disaster, right? is gonna be very, very important, um, especially for younger children. So limiting their access specifically to that stuff, thinking carefully about how are we talking about this is important. Um, and then for little ones, I think, you know, making sure you're listening, just noticing um, and just open to hearing what's going on. And sometimes little kids communicate distress not by talking, but by behaving differently. So looking for behavioral changes, disruptions in sleep, tantrums, um, sort of lower thresholds for, for crying, frustration, fear, those kinds of things, right? And then giving them where you can a structure and a routine. Those things are comforting, right? So sometimes our inclination might be if we have a child that's upset just giving them whatever they want to make sure that they feel loved in some way that might not be such a good idea because kids actually signal to they need structure and they need they signal to us sometimes through behavior that you know if i push i need to know you're going to push back are you there right and so keeping in place routines like bedtime you know meal times, things like that. Holding them accountable for little things, like when we take out all our toys, we put them back. You know, and mommy can help you, but you're gonna, you know, I'm gonna expect you to help me too. And think about one thing that's unhelpful, right? Is dealing with increased distress or behavioral issues that might show up in the in this time, you know, where everyone's, you know, having heightened stress with punishment and with scolding, and with harshness. That does not help. What it does do is, you know, increases the stress for pretty much everybody in the family. So one useful thing to think about is what do you want to grow, right? Think about what sorts of things do you want to see more of? What do you want to nurture in your family instead of what do you want to remove or cut down? Um, and my colleague in Australia, Darren Carnes, said this beautifully. You know, he said, sometimes we get we get really coercive and we start to yell and punish. You know, all that's about is like it's like chopping down a tree. I don't like this, I'm gonna chop it down. But that doesn't ever teach anything to grow. And so just a small shift in how you're thinking about what do I want to see more of in my family. That's what we want to nurture, pay attention to, and call out and notice. Let, really let the little kids know you're seeing them.
1: I love that. It's positive reinforcement. And exactly. also, it's, it's not trying to shut down their emotions no. in that kind
0: of harsh, punitive way. Absolutely not. Which is usually not helpful. No, it's not. And actually, I should say something about that, too. It, it doesn't matter what age your kids are, but when kids are coming to you in distress, The very first and most important thing to do is to say, wow, that looks really hard, or I see that you're anxious. Wow, you sound really mad. very first thing is to empathize, no matter what else happens next. It's really important that kids feel felt and seen and heard. Um, Then the next step might be something different. Right. But the very first step is to really kind of empathize and acknowledge, wow, this, this looks really hard. I can hear the anger in your voice, you know, and then we can take it from there. What happens next? Right.
1: Now, what about teenagers? Because there's some specific concerns <laughs> I, about them, right? I have one of They're, those right now. <laughs> so, you know,
0: you know, personally
1: quite well.
0: It's really funny. Yeah. Um, pick your battles. That's <laughs> one. And there's a couple of things that are important and you know, everyone's teens are going to be different and they're going to have different struggles. Um, However, keep in mind, what I would say to parents is keep in mind that this is the age when kids are becoming more independent and autonomous. They are finding their own way. And some of the things that we perceive as rebellions, right. Or disrespect are really simply behaviors that these kids are evolutionarily designed to do at this age when they are trying on, you know, different ways of being in the world. They're discovering who they are, they're discovering how things work, right? And so the other thing is at this age, they it's really weird for them to be cooped up with their parents 24-7. My goodness, right? For most of them. I mean, and even if they are you know, cooped up with you anyway. Like I work with a lot of kids who are homebound in the OCD community or, or kids who are experiencing extreme anxiety. Sometimes those kids really want their spaces that are just theirs as well. And so if your kids are spending a ton of time in their rooms, that's not necessarily a danger signal. It could be, but it's probably in part, they just want their privacy, you know? And so what I would say to that is, treat it with respect right treat it like um you know this is their haven knock you know in the same way that you would with a roommate think about it like that if that's helpful um and still hold them accountable for things but for sure give them their space right and kind of be respectful if i could say anything else like you they won't necessarily want to connect every every minute either so Being, communicating that you're available and that you're there and that you're just in a close orbit, but that you're being mindful of their boundaries, I think that's really helpful. Um, So that's another one. Don't take things personally is a really, really important piece of it too, because if they are struggling, it's probably not related to something that you did and it's probably not necessarily something that you know you yourself can fix for them but again just empathizing with things that are hard and letting you know if they lose their temper with you if they're crotchety or whatever holding that a little bit lightly i think um rather than maybe being demanding and directive and asking for respect just give them some space to none of us are perfect and they are you know in, it's probably important to mention that like when kids are in adolescence they are experiencing massive brain changes, right? You know, and to to kind of describe this simply, sort of their ability to plan and inhibit their behavior and kind of manage themselves is relatively less loud (laughs) relative to the emotion center of their brain, which is just starting to pop. And, you know, they are, it's almost like when they were little kids and they would just, you know, have really big emotions all the time, they're kind of back there, really, only they're in great big bodies now. And so they're not always um, skilled at regulating. And that's important to know. It's a skills deficit. It's not necessarily something that you as a parent should take personally. So making a space for that as well. Um, and I think those are probably the main things I would suggest. It just it Oh, go ahead. good at gaming. No. Oh, one other thing, too. Like, so there's the gaming issue, right? So, for some kids, they will get addicted, and that's a really terrible thing. On the other hand, at this point, just like the adults are all zooming and doing our own thing, that's how they're connecting with their friends. And so, it's important to set meaningful limits, right? Like, if they're going to be up and flip their sleep schedule, so they're up all night gaming and sleeping during the day. That's not a very helpful idea, right? And that's going to be hard to transition and cycle back when it's time to actually start moving out into the world again. But at the same time, this is probably how they're connecting with friends. And, I, you know, a lot of teens will describe, like it serves different functions for, for different teens, right? For some, they describe it as a leveler where if they feel like maybe they're not so socially successful or they feel a little on the outs, This is a place where they feel equal to everyone because, you know, it's just the differences are somehow erased in that way. So talking with them about it um, and having conversations about, like, what's helpful, what's not helpful, and then keeping meaningful limits, especially around things like bedtimes, you know, and if it's interfering with school work that needs to get done and stuff like that. That might be something to look at.
1: That's helpful. Actually, it just occurred to me for those who do have teenagers and Want more? We had our dear Louise Hayes on the podcast a while back, and she just awesome. talked about she just so normalized all the stuff that goes oh on. God, with yeah. Teenagers wanting to separate from their parents—that is wired in because that's their job—and just those emotional ups and downs. And how as a parent, just being there to support and love them through all this is
3: mm-hmm.
1: necessary. So you could check that out if you want to yeah, hear more I about this.
0: I could not recommend more. Yeah, she's great, and I agree with her too. And it's like this, you know while they are developing too, and it's a developmental shift for kids into adolescence, it's also a developmental shift in parenting where you go from, and it's, this is on purpose. And I think some of us get stuck here, right? Where the things that you used to do for when your kids were younger are no longer helpful, like being directive, like, you know, kind of, it's more about shifting into this more collaborative, supportive role where you're watching them unfold. And if you need to, you're letting them fall down when they need to fall down because natural consequences really are very good teachers for a lot of kids. Um, but that can be hard, especially with those of us who are feeling more helicopterish, <laughs> like We have to curate everything so that they're safe all the time. There's a great story in the Atlantic about that, um, you know, about anxiety in kids. Oh, I saw that. We'll link to that that too. I mean, it's a great article. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, I work with anxious kids all the time. And one of the things that we teach is, you know, anxiety can actually knock kids off that developmental trajectory, right? Because instead of going out and exploring the world robustly, They're working on managing fears. And that is so hard for parents because like, of course, you feel like you should protect your child. You should, it's not okay for them to be anxious. So you're going to do everything that you can to make them not anxious. But that just sort of strengthens the walls around them and prevents them from going out into the world and really discovering their own skills. And they have a lot of skills. They're just nascent. They're just developing. And so it's more about like, nurturing, providing opportunities for them to take mindful risks, right? And moving out into the world. So
1: the name of the game with all of this, with, with dealing with this crisis and changing how you pair it, it's, it's flexibility. I think yeah. that this is a time when we have to do our best and we have to roll with the punches and we have to be adapting. I mean, it's yeah. hard, but that's that's kind of what
0: we've got to do. One last little exercise. Just let me say oh. one thing about that. It is really hard, and something to remember is that we were built to do this. Like we evolved, right? We were built to be good noticers of our context. Of, and we uh, good problem solvers, right? So we have all of the capacities that we need. It's just that we need to step back from sort of hanging on to, oh, God, how do I parent just the way I was doing pre-COVID now? That's the part we need to jettison. And then we need to kind of step back into that sort of space where we're noticing and in, innovating, figuring out what does work. We can hack it. We really can. It's just going to take that kind of mindfulness about like, all right, (laughs) let me let go of my idea of what the perfect day or the perfect parenting piece is and let me see what will actually work and focus on that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because you can't just be stuck in, well, I wish it wasn't like this because that that gets you nowhere, right?
0: And for the record, I do wish it wasn't like this too. So I'm with you. Got it. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: you're right. yes, I wish so too. <laughs> and and yes, we yeah. must move forward. Yeah. Well, let's let's do let's end with this values and perspective taking exercise that you have, which I think is wonderful.
0: So one way to think about this, you know, I think that it's really hard to remember um, that when you get stuck and thinking about like all the things that are really hard about this and all the possible dangers, the things that we've lost for some of us who have lost people that we love. Um, and I do know there are many of us out there that have experienced that. And for all of the fears, for you know the uncertainty of the future, it's hard to remember to step back from that. But one thing that people might do is to step back and think about you know, 10 years from now, when your kids are 10 years older, when you are 10 years older, imagine like sitting down at a picnic table somewhere, you know, at the edge of a field in the summer and having a conversation about the pandemic. And do you remember what it was like when we were all cooped up together in the house? How do you want your kids to remember that? You know, what would you want them to remember about you right? what are the most important things and so i would say do that little imagination exercise and just let it kind of show up maybe do it right before you go to bed and just imagine what would you want them to say what would you want them to remember if you could give them a gift Something that they could keep forever from this time, something that was good. What would you want that to be about you, about how you were, about how you were as a family? So give that some thought and then see if you can carry that idea with you, you know, over the coming days and see what happens. You know, see what happens about how you are, how the family is, and how your kids are reacting to that. Just explore, try that and see how that works.
1: I think that's great. I think when you're feeling burnt out, it can be really hard to connect with those values. And so I hope that's, I I think that's really powerful. I, I hope that's helpful to others as it is to me.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, me too.
1: Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom with parents who are struggling everywhere. and and with people who are wanting to help parents. Um, I think we're all in this together and your, your wisdom is really valuable. I really
0: appreciate it. And so it was a total pleasure and you know, just thanks for having me on. I hope this was useful.
2: Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your
3: podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our interns, Dr. Catherine Foley-Saldania and Dr. Katie Lear.
1: This podcast is for
3: informational
1: and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.